again, Lord, for bringing us here. Thank you again for who you are. Thank you for the life that you've given us in you, God. Thank you for the freedom, Lord. Thank you for being able to just walk in you, to know you and have a relationship and have you in our lives, Lord. There's, there's nothing like that, God. And we're just hopeful, Lord, in, in all that you do in our lives, that you continue to help us to grow and become better people, become more like you, Jesus. And we ask that through your word you would speak to us, that your word, God, the Bible in our hands, Lord, that you would use these words to change and transform us this morning. And by your Holy Spirit, God, may you speak. By your Holy Spirit, may you convict our hearts and draw us to you, Lord. So we ask for your anointing by your Spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, have you ever looked closely at labels? And what I mean is labels on the packages. It's like this. I found um, on a package of iron-on decals, decals, at the bottom of the warning label, it said this. Do not iron while wearing shirt. <laughs> kind of crazy. Or like this, I saw this. On a washing machine at this public laundromat, the label next on the washing machine says, high spin speeds, do not put any person in this washer. Well, you like that, oh, son, you got to put you in, get your little cleaner here, yeah? How about this? On the black cat fireworks, the warning label said, flammable, do not put in mouth. Like, you're going to really do that, right? Or on a Dremel electric rotary tool, it said, Warning, this product is not intended for use as a dental drill. <laughs> Come here, Dada. I'm just going to help that help out a little bit here. <coughs> um, another label. This label said, Warning, has been found to cause cancer in laboratory mice. Now, that was on a box of rat poison. Why would companies put out these kind of labels? Well, you know why? Because people are so crazy. That's what I call them. They're into getting, doing lawsuits and getting money, right? It's a sad world that we live in. I read about a man who sued the family of the boy he had run over. In 2008, the Spanish businessman Tomas Delgado sued the family of the 17-year-old boy he had run over and he had died. He had killed, basically. Reports say he was going 70 miles per hour in a 50-mile-per-hour zone when he hit the boy from behind with his car. Now, he claimed, when he took this lawsuit, he claimed the boy was riding his bike at night with no helmet or reflectors and... He, he uh, sued them for $29,400, which is the damage to his Audi A8. Well, he later dropped the lawsuit after severe public pressure. Well, good, because, I mean, that's so wrong, right? I mean, uh, he, he, you know, it was an accident, but he uh, seemed like, but he called the, he killed the boy here. Well, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with this problem, this problem of the Corinthian believers suing each other in court. And what they should do, rather, they should show Jesus' love by forgiving and just letting it go. So I titled our message this morning, Lawsuits or Love. Lawsuits or Love. That's our title. Uh, we're going to be studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 1 through 11 this morning. We, we ended in chapter 5, and now 
We're crossing over to chapter 6, from, so from verse 1 through 11. Our outline this morning is this. Number one, the wrong approach. Number two, we're going to see the wrong attitude. And number three, the wrong arena. I'll give those, uh, this outline to you as we go. But let's begin here with number one in our outline, the wrong approach. The wrong approach. Lawsuits are love is our title. Number one, the wrong approach. Take a look with me here now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It reads, There any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. We'll stop right there. We begin here with the Apostle Paul writing, Dare any of you. In other words, how can you dare to go to court when you have a matter against another? And what he's talking about, a matter, the situation against another believer. That's the idea. He says that is, you know, go to law, taking someone to secular court before the unrighteous. He's going, you, you, you take this fellow believer and you're going to the unrighteous. You, you take them to the secular court. The unrighteous here means the, the unsaved, someone who isn't saved. And then he says, not before the saints, not before the saved person, your fellow believer, a Christian here. So Paul's saying, instead of resolving it between believers, how can you file a lawsuit in secular court? And that's the whole idea here in our passage. Now, Paul's been dealing with many things that are wrong in the Corinthian church. Remember, from the beginning, from chapter 1, we've been seeing that. That's what this epistle or this letter is about. The issues going on within the church. Their pride, remember, has brought division in the church, contention. Their carnal attitude, their fleshliness, worldliness that's been coming to the church, and they're not really acting and treating each other in the right way. And then last time we saw how Paul dealt in chapter 5 with a man in the church who was sleeping with his stepmother, right? Um, incense, incest he was committing. Well, as he's going through this list now, next on the list, the Corinthian believers were suing each other in the secular courts, appearing before unsaved judges. So this is what Paul is going to deal with here, and this is what we're looking at this morning. Now look at verse 2. He goes on, he says this, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? So Paul here, he's talking about their whole approach now to these things. These things that are coming up between one another in the church. Their whole approach was wrong in all this. And he gives some reasons why they shouldn't go to the secular court there and try and deal with this. And first of all, he says here in verse 2, Do you not know? Or realize that the saints or believers will judge the world. The idea is believers will rule and reign with Christ. And one day we will help Jesus actually manage the world in the millennium. That's, that's the idea. After the seven years tribulation and Jesus returns and he sets up rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. 
Revelation 20, verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then the, later the verse goes on and says, And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the idea is believers will one day with Christ help and manage things in the world, and, and we're going to settle things with the people in the world as judges. So he's saying, look, in verse 2, he goes on, he says, And if the world will be judged by you, like you're going to be there managing things, then are you unworthy to judge the smallest ladder, matters? Aren't you able to deal with even the smallest of problems? If during the millennium, Paul is saying, you will be judges, why can't you solve your little petty problems? One commentator, Bruce Barton, said, By going to pagan authorities to settle disputes, the Christians were acting beneath their dignity. I like how he said that, yeah. I mean, we're going to have this position. Shouldn't we settle these things here within ourselves rather than bringing it before these unsaved judges? Well, Paul goes on in verse 3 now. He adds something else here. He says, do you not know that we shall judge? And look at this angels interesting right he says in verse 3 how much more things that pertain to this life so the second thing is not only we're going to be judging and be ruling reigning with christ and managing things in the world and people of the world he says don't you know realize we are also going to what judge angels the idea is believers will also be over created angels isn't that amazing thought it's like what who who, who are we who am i interesting in psalm chapter 8 verse 5 says for you have made him talking about man mankind you have made him a little lower than the angels and and we read that in hebrews there's a voice that means little lower angels on earth and but it goes on it says and you have crowned him with glory and honor so the idea in the millennium we're going to have this place and it's actually going to be over angels so paul's like hey if one day yeah believers are to judge the angels how much more should you be able to manage things in this life? You should be able to deal with things in this life that you're going to be even overseeing angels. You know, I came across this interesting thing. Someone, one of the commentators was writing that there's a Jewish legend that says Satan, and we know Satan, he's just a created angel, right? He rebelled against God and fell. Well, this Jewish legend says that Satan is upset over this very thought. That what? Men, human beings are going to, you know, believers, Christians are going to ru uh, rule over angels, what? So he's upset over this thought that not only did he rebel against God, but his mission now, and we know in the New Testament says, Jesus said, is to steal, kill, and destroy, right? And especially Christians. Th he's all upset over this. So no wonder the devil does all he can to destine every person to hell right and in his wicked proud way i think he's sitting there thinking hey they are not going to sit in judgment over me no way so that's why he's really out to get believers and even everyone in the world well paul moves on here in verse four he says if then verse four if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge so if then right if if if, if we are to rule over the world later and we're going to be rule over 
angels, if then, you, if you have these judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, these cases now pertaining to the things inside, why do you appoint or you go to someone who are least esteemed, esteemed by the church to judge? Why are you going to these secular judges and going to the secular courts? Why are you going to these guys who are least esteemed? Now, the ESV uh, renders that, translates that, no, that they have no standing in the church, the least esteemed. In other words, these are secular judges, and they have no knowledge of the truth of God. And so Paul's like, and you guys go to them to solve things between you? I mean, they don't know anything of the Word and of the Bible. So Paul's like, look, like, think about that. Here's the logical conclusion. Since believers, hey, you're going to reign with Jesus and over angels with God's truth, then why do you look to the world to solve your issues? Makes sense, doesn't it? John MacArthur wrote in his commentary, the poorest equipped believer who seeks the counsel of God's word and spirit is much more competent to settle disagreements between fellow believers than is the most highly trained and experienced unbelieving judge who is devoid of divine truth. That makes sense to me. Oh, they don't know anything of how God works and His Word and His truth, His principles, these unsaved. They're going by theirs, yeah. But why you go to them? You should be able to settle these things out yourself. So, Paul says this in verse 5. Look at verse 5. I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brother. So Paul says, don't you see this? This is shameful here. I mean, what's going on? And with a little bit of sarcasm, he's like, isn't there a wise man over there? Isn't there someone who's so wise? Remember at the early part of 1 Corinthians, they were like, well, I'm so wise. But it was with worldly wisdom, human wisdom, right? They thought they could make good evaluations, and they're like, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I follow Peter. You guys, uh, you guys don't know. We know, right? With the philosophical uh, Greek kind of thinking mixed in, right? So they thought they're so wise. So Paul, and with a little bit of sarcasm, he's like, hey, is there not a wise man among there? Yeah, not even one. Aren't there someone who, who can be so wise that they're able to judge between his brother, be brethren, between two believers here? You guys, you have God's truth, Paul is saying. You should be able to resolve things. You, didn't, you don't need to go outside there. You need to go within yourself. Now, I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be strange if this doctor in training, let's say during his residency, if he were to, well, he has this problem, this issue, and what if he were to approach the hospital janitor to ask for his diagnosis on a seriously sick patient? Yeah. Oh, just use the drain oil, you know. No. But, but right, I mean, why would he go there? I mean, I, after four years undergrad, four years of medical school, one year in term in residency, all that, why would he go to the janitor? Shouldn't he have some tools and knowledge? Shouldn't he go maybe to another doctor or the chief surgeon or someone there, right? Why would he do that? Well, that's the idea. Paul's saying, why are you going outside there? I mean, you guys know the truth. You've been taught. I've been with you a year and a half. I taught you truth. People come in. Teachers come in teaching you the truth of God. And then verse 6, he says, But brother goes to law against brother. A believer goes to court against a believer. And that 
before unbelievers. Now, understand what's going on here in the culture, in the society, in this ancient Roman Greek society. Legal cases like lawsuits were settled at the bima. Remember that word, bima, the Greek word bima, means judgment seat or seat of judgment. It was this raised platform in the center of the city or the city of Corinth here, which is where this church is, and it, that was called the Agora. And there, there was a pub, there was a marketplace, and a lot of people came, hung up. But right in the middle was this platform, the bima. Well, here judges would sit, and they would listen to cases brought before them, and they would render their verdict. So, being in the middle of town and in this open square here, the court was all public. So, you know what would happen? Uh, there's a marketplace all around too. It was all public. So what would happen? This would become a very entertaining and great place to go and listen to and watch the court proceedings going on. All these lawsuits. And you remember we had learned that that how the Greek culture loved their philosophy, loved their debates, loved their thinking. Yeah, loved to 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 you know kind of debate each other and argue with what's better and what is this and then so you can imagine so in court you bring someone there oh hey hey let's do some shopping yeah let's go to food court and grab some you know uh the, what, that greek sandwich thing <laughs> and, and then let's go let's watch a court case here let's let's see the attorneys battle it out they would love to watch that and so it's here paul was talking about believers were taking other believers suing each other in front of everybody in front of the whole town. So what's Paul saying in all of this? He's saying it's shameful that you believers would air your dirty laundry, basically, when you should keep it within the family. That's the point. It's shameful that you believers would air your dirty laundry when you should keep it within the family. That's what Paul is saying here. Recently, I saw this article. Um, you guys know, you know, Judge Judy, yeah? Judge Judy, well, uh, there's this article that says, Judge Judy gets apology for false National Enquirer Alzheimer's story. I guess the tabloid had to apologize to the TV judge after publishing she had Alzheimer's and she had cheated on her husband. And so I was trying to look in an article. That it, she never took him to court or anything. It seems like maybe for them it was better than facing her in court or something yeah, in all that way. But, but it made me think about this. Now, think about this. Judge Judy is actually has been the most popular daytime TV show. Did you know that? Outdrawing the soap operas, the talk shows. It, because, you know, in her short kind of manifest style, people love to see her, like, get these people, yeah, in the civil cases. It's all entertainment. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, whoo that was a good one. Or, you know, and crazy, funny things. So, you know, I remember watching it here and then go, oh, look at her. Watch out for her, you know. Well, think about that, how Judge Judy is. That's how the Bema was in the city of Corinth. And so that's how... Believers would take each other there, and they go to court, and then here's all the city watching these two believers take each other to court and argue. But think about this. When a Christian drags another Christian to court, what kind of testimony is that to the world? What kind of testimony is that? I mean, think about it even for ourselves, yeah? 
when you air your dirty laundry to the world? Do we even care about what it do does to God's name? Do we even care about that? Now, listen here this morning. Paul is really dealing with the issue of a believer taking another believer to court. Now, that's not to say you cannot go to court, say, if you're summoned, or, or you can't have to deal with things, you know, if, if for injustice, maybe a, a company, you know, or a, or a product or something, or some of you guys had to get a TRO, or even there's biblical time, biblical divorces, right, or times where biblical divorce has to happen. And so you do need to go to court. There is those times, right? But whatever the case may be, we got to think about, will this bring glory to God? Will, will this uh, 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 mar his name? Is my conscience clear in what I'm doing here? So whatever that is, we got to keep that in mind. It's not to say it's, it's, it's wrong to go to court, but Paul's specifically talking about bringing a believer to court, another believer there. You know, it's interesting. I was reading how one Christian lawyer had said in dozens and dozens of cases he handles, and that's a good thing to do is go to a Christian lawyer if you have to try and deal with something, but he said in the dozens and dozens of cases he handles, 90% of the time he convinces believers to do what's biblical and settle things outside of secular courts. I think that's really good. He said this, though. He went on and he said that in every case, without exception, they have been blessed. Those believers who settled them out of court, they have been blessed. But then he went on to say this. But on the other hand, every single time they disobey Scripture, the result's been terrible. They are bitter. Well, that made me think. Would you rather be blessed or would you rather be bitter? Interesting, isn't it? So Paul, Paul's saying, hey, it's shameful that you believers would air your dirty laundry when you should keep it within the family. That's the wrong approach to take another believer to secular court. Let's go on to number two now in our outline, the wrong attitude, the wrong attitude. So in this lawsuit for love, we've seen number one, the wrong approach, and now number two, the wrong attitude. First Corinthians chapter six, verse seven now, we go on. Now therefore, Paul writes, it is already another failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? Now, Paul says, now, therefore, you know, because you're doing this thing already, you're suing other believers, each other. You know what he says? He says it's an utter failure. If you take this approach, you know what? Everyone comes out a loser. I mean, what do you want to be? Blessed or bitter, right? We just saw that. These, these guys are bitter toward each other. This is part of the division going on in the church and the contentions. I, can you imagine sitting in church and seeing the guy in front of you who's suing you, you know, worshiping the Lord? Look at that guy. How could he worship the Lord, right? I mean, how could you? You wouldn't even go to church in that way. Paul says it's, this is an utter failure. Everyone comes out a loser. Warren Wiersbe said this, nobody wins except the devil. Yeah. So, what's a better way to handle this? What's a better way? How do we, how, what kind of attitude are we supposed to have? What would God have us to do? Well, then he says in verse 7, he says, why do you not rather accept 
the wrong. Interesting, isn't it? The NLT version translates as, why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Yeah, Just accept it, let it go, in other words. Just let it go. And then Paul says, why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? The word cheated means defrauded. Yeah. That in, in our day, that in the original language, it means to be defrauded. Hey, just take the loss and just let it go. Paul's like, you know, it's better to suffer a financial loss than to suffer a spiritual loss before the Lord. That's what he's talking about. Isn't this crazy? And here Paul is saying something unheard of, even to us in our years. He, back then, I mean, the Greek culture, they're very proud and prideful. They would win the debates. They were the right ones. They, they had the right and all that, right? But Paul, what Paul's saying is unheard of. The world says, you deserve this. Think about yourself. They deserve for you to sue them. But Paul's like, no, that's not the way. That shouldn't be. Why are you guys like that? Verse 8, that's what he says. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. You defraud yourselves. You're, you're in this mode, actually, just like them. And you do these things to your brethren, to one another, other believers. You, but no, you guys are actually doing the wrong and cheating your own brethren and other believers. You are doing exactly what the world does and not what God would want. First Thessalonians 4, 6 says, No one should take advantage of, of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. God doesn't want us to act like that and have this attitude toward one another. So Paul is saying this. You guys hold to this worldly mindset when believers should just take the loss and let it go. That's what he's saying. This is his point. You guys should hold to this worldly, or you guys hold to this worldly mindset when, when as believers, you should just take the loss and let it go. I read a story about this man. He noticed a big scratch on his friend's brand new Ford truck, and he's asking, hey, what happened here? And his friend said, well, you know, my, my neighbor's basketball post fell and it scratched the door. Oh, whoa, really? And and, and the friend said, yeah, and the worst part is the neighbor doesn't feel responsible. Well, the man says, well, did you call the insurance company? Are you going to get him to pay? How are you going to get this done? I mean, you're going to take him to court and all? And the friend is like, well, it's taken a lot of prayer, but, you know, my wife and I, we almost called the attorney, but it came down to this. And I thought this was interesting. This man, this friend said, I can either be in the right or I can be in a relationship with my neighbor. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than the truck, I decided I'd rather be in a relationship than be in the right. Interesting, huh? That helps us with this picture here. I mean, where does this attitude come from? Well, this friend was act is actually a chaplain at a university, and he's a believer. He's a very strong believer. And this is what Paul is talking about. Hey, you guys are holding this worldly mindset, but as believers, we should, you know what? Take the loss and let it go. This is what Paul is talking about. Oh, it made me think, what is our attitude? What is our initial reaction here? Are you willing to just accept it, to allow it, take the loss, let it go? That's what Paul is saying. This is radical, yeah? 
This is pretty crazy, but Paul said, hey, if another believer, something happened, you know what? Let it go. I mean, what does Jesus want us to do? How, how can a believer do this? What would the Lord want us to do? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to the left to Matthew chapter 5, and, and we're going to expand this a little bit with some of Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew 5. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, so we're going to be flipping around in there, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. It says here, verse 38, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth, tooth, right? You've heard, hey, get even, you know, justice, yeah? Get, get what's deserved, it's your right. But look at verse 39. Jesus is speaking, he says, but I tell you, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, slap him right back. No, that's not what he says. He says, I have the wrong Bible here. No. <laughs> it says, turn the uh, other to him also. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Then he goes on, verse 40. Look at verse 40 in Matthew 5. It says, if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, well, counter sue him and take his away. No. He says, let him what? Have your cloak also. What is that? Take the loss, let it go. Yeah? Let it go. Give, give more. Here's, here's the first thing. Jesus tells us, you know what? Take the loss, let it go. Give, let it go. This, what I see is Jesus saying, hey, keep this attitude here in your heart. Yeah? Keep this attitude. Keep the Jesus attitude. This is the Jesus attitude. Just take the loss, give more, and let it go. Now, you might be thinking, oh, that's tough, you know. How, let it go? I mean, financially, there's believers coming after me, and they want more, and give me, uh, I'll give them whatever, but, you know, I owe them more. What? What? Let go of my things? But you know what? Jesus said something about this. Turn a page or so to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. We know this verse. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What's the idea? Just seek God first. Put God first in your life. Seek him out, and God will provide all these things. What are all these things? What things? Well, verse 31, he's talking about food, water, clothing. Verse 32, he said, this is what, what the world goes after. Yeah, they're, 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 That's their main priority, and that's what they want again. That's what they protect. But he said in verse 32, but your heavenly father, he knows your needs, right? So don't worry about those things, but seek first the kingdom of God. So how, does, how do we bring this into what we're talking about? What is, does Jesus want us to do? You know what Jesus wants us to do? Trust God to make up any unjust loss. Yeah? Trust God. He's going to provide. Trust God. Any unjust loss, anything, hey, just, just let it go. Give him the other, other coat, the other cloak, yeah? Well, what am I going to have? It's going to get, no worries. God can replace that. God can provide for us. And trust God that whatever injustice is there, he's going to take care of it. Yeah? Just seek first the kingdom of God. Don't sue your brother, even if they're wrong. Take the loss. Trust God for his provision. Trust him for justice that he will do. What else does Jesus want us to do? You know what? He wants us to do, he wants us 
to forgive. Yeah, because in these situations, it's super hard. Turn to Matthew chapter 18 now. Go some chapters down now. Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, 21. Je then it says here, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, do this thing against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Lord, Peter's asking Jesus, Hey, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins again, who does this thing against me? Seven times? Oh, good answer, Peter. Yeah, seven, the perfect number, you know. Peter thought, ah, he's so good. Seven times, yeah, that's a lot. But look what Jesus said in verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times. It's not seven times, but up to what? Seventy times seven. What's seventy times seven? 490. Okay, 490 times and you keep the tally, right? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. You know, in this phrase, what he's saying is, you know what? Infinity, yeah? You keep forgiving them. You keep forgiving when he sins against you. You continue to first forgive. So here's the third thing. Jesus is saying, hey, forgive them. And you know with that, you show Jesus love, yeah? Jesus really asks us to do what he does for us. How many times has Jesus forgiven you? I'll tell you, for me, I know it's beyond 490 times. His grace is there. His mercy is there. His love is there. His forgiveness is there. Jesus saying, hey, forgive them. Forgive them. And isn't all of this, yeah, giving your cloak, yeah, trusting in God that he's going to provide. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take, yeah, taking a loss, yeah, and, and just letting it go, forgiving them. Isn't all this showing love? And it's showing a love, a what? Agape, right? The Greek word for love, which means unconditional love, and it also means a love that you give. You, it just gives. Even if the person doesn't deserve it, right? It's undeserved love. That's another definition for agape, right? Isn't all this showing a love, really, that the world cannot give? Yeah? It's a different way of doing things. Why is that? Because Jesus is in us, right? Jesus is in us. And so we can show, we can give that kind of love, even if they don't deserve it. Let me ask you this morning, what has your attitude been lately? Does it reflect Jesus in you? Is your attitude true to who you are in Jesus now? Yeah. Is it? This is what Paul is bringing out. Hey, why don't you just take the loss? Let it go. Why you keep this worldly mindset, this attitude? Why don't you have this attitude of who you are or who you're following? Jesus. I was reading a statistic in the U.S. There are 15 million civil suits filed every year. Can you believe that? 15 million. They, and there's, they also had a little chart, and they, they say that 80% of lawyers, of, of the world's lawyers, live, you know where? New York. I mean, I think about, I don't know if you've been there, sometimes I remember once being there, oh, oh, you know, that's kind of rough there, yeah, and all that. Now, I was reading something else in the statistics. They, they said a tort, you know what a tort is? Not a tortilla. A tort is a, is a wrongful, wrongful personal injury that merits legal compensation. Compensation. So it's someone, you know, suing a tort, yeah? 
guess what? Alaska and Hawaii win the lowest win for the lowest uh, cases um, of tort cases. I'm now, I don't know about Alaska, but maybe I was thinking, well, maybe Hawaii because of our generally our attitude of aloha, maybe. Yeah. Interesting, I thought. Well, do people see something different in us? Do they see our aloha, our love, the love of God in us? Or are we just more of the same? That's what Paul is saying. Why are you holding to this mindset? You know, you should be radically different, doing the, doing the opposite, being radical in how you do this, on your attitudes in, in this. John Phillips wrote, what would this disgraceful squabbling openly in court do for the testimony? Would not the unsaved say, these Christians, for all their lofty claims and their high-sounding teachings, are no better than we are. So true. Well, let's move on here now to number three, the wrong arena. We have the wrong approach, the wrong attitude, and all seek for love, and now we have the wrong arena. Is Paul talking about losses, or do we give love? 1 Corinthians 6, back there, back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says here now, well, this is our last section, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what a list here. Paul here says, you know, we know, he's saying, hey, we know the unrighteous, those who are not saved by Jesus, will not inherit or obtain the kingdom of God. In other words, they're not going to go to heaven, right? They're unrighteous. They don't have Jesus. We know that without embracing Jesus Christ in our lives, we'll never be righteous enough to go to heaven no matter what we do. We understand that. We understand what the Bible says. There's not enough good you can do to cover the bad that we have done, the sins. There's, there's no way. So Paul's like, we know the unrighteous can't do that. He wrote in Philippians 3, 9, uh, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, in the righteousness from God that depends on faith, right? We have faith in what Christ did on dying on the cross for our sins. Then we can be forgiven. Then we can be washed clean. Then we have the righteousness of God. So we are able to be made right before God and go into heaven. So Paul says, hey, do not be deceived. He goes on here in verse 9. Don't be fooled into thinking you're okay. Don't be self-deceived. And then Paul lists some moral sins of the unsaved. And, and it's not everything, but some of the, the major categories here that he, he lists here. So, he, so now we're going to get to why he's putting this here in context. But for right now, so he makes this list now of these moral sins of the unsaved. So he says, those who live without God in their life, these guys are not going to heaven like the fornicators. What is that? The sexually immoral. Idolaters, those who worship false gods, false religions. Adulterers, we know what that is, right? Infidelity, having affairs. Those, he's talking about those who practice these things, yeah? They're not saved, where they continue in this. Then he says here, homosexuals nor 
sodomite. So look, the Bible lists this as uh, sin, right? In the midst of all these other sins. Then he says thieves, nor covetousness. Covetousness is greedy, and that goes along with the thieves. He says drunkards, nor revilers. Revilers are those who speak abusive words. They wound with their words, speaking hate and bitterness. And lastly, he says extortioners, those who take unfair advantage of people. They're swindlers, really, the, name, the word means, or embezzlers. Today we call them scammers, yeah. People are out there just wanting to scam people. So Paul says those who habitually practice these sins show they're not saved. They're not going to heaven. This is their world. This is how they live. One pastor says this is the way of the world. This is a microcosm or sphere of the society. So it's this picture he's painting here with all these sins. But then look at verse 11 now, our last verse for this morning. He says here, and such, what, were some of you. I love that. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I love this. Th this is so awesome. Verse 11 says, and such were some of you. And the key word there is were, yeah? Were. You're not like that anymore. The list of above, that's the kind of life you had. And you can imagine this list, yeah, was the background to many of the believers who were in the church. They were the extortioners, yeah? They were the homosexuals. They were, they were the thieves. They were the revilers. They were the fornicators, the adulterers. But he says, and such were some of you, right? This is where you came from. But now you have Jesus. Your life has changed. And he describes it. He says, but you were washed. I love that. Clean of their sins. Yeah. Forgiven. Forgiven. Uh, washed of guilt and sin. No longer held against them. They're washed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for their sins. And then he says, but you were sanctified. Sanctified, remember, uh, means set apart. It's, it's, it's the word that describes our process of, of becoming more like Christ, our growth, our maturity and godliness. I mean, we're not perfect right away, but we continue to grow in God because why? We have been made new creations, right? Second Corinthians 5.17. We have a new life now in Jesus. And now this life is separated and sanctified from the world. We're no longer living the godly, uh, uh, ungodly life. Now we're living a godly life. And then he says, but you were justified. Remember what justification is? Uh, the easy way to remember it, that means is just as if I never sinned. I love justification. Just as if I never sinned. We have been made righteous, able to go into heaven now because Christ's righteousness is upon us. No more do we have that heavy condemnation. No more the regret. No more like, I don't know if I can make it to heaven. No. In Jesus, you will because you are justified. You've been freed from your sin and now you're justified. And all this is done through what? The name of the Lord Jesus. By his power and the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit. By the work of the Holy Spirit of God the Father. So, you see, Paul's like, hey, you guys aren't the same. You guys are different. You're in a different arena, yeah, than what you're living in. 
So in context of this section, listen now, Paul is saying, look, you used to be like these people in the world, operating in the sphere of the sinful flesh. But now you've been saved from that kind of life. Now you are to live in a different life, in a different way, in this new life that's radically different from the world. So why do you guys go to the world to settle your differences? Why do you go to those who operate on those different principles and different rules? Why do you govern your life in that way by acting like these guys, yeah, taking each other to court and all, all that, and not by having and holding that attitude of accepting the wrong, forgiving the wrong, trusting God to bring justice. Here Paul is really saying, you know what, look, this is not you anymore. You're sanctified. You're separate from the world. You're part of the kingdom of, of God. Now, you're not part of the kingdom of the world. You don't breathe the same air. You, you live in a different realm, a different dimension now. Don't act like you've never been changed. Don't abide in the wrong arena. So our last point for this morning is this, and Paul is saying, don't be self-deceived and live in the old sinful flesh. Draw the line in the sand stay transformed. That's his point. Don't be self-deceived. Don't think and just keep living in old sinful flesh. No, draw the line in the sand. Stay in that transformed life. Keep living on that side of the line. Now I think about uh, the time when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, remember in Exodus, and he found the Israelites. Well, they were worshiping the golden calf, right? That idol that they made. And in Exodus chapter 32, Moses came down, and you know what? He stood at the entrance of the camp. And remember, we studied this in Exodus. He said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. In other words, Moses drew a line in the sand there, and Israel had to make a choice now. What, you want to live life worshiping idols like you did back in Egypt? Or are you going to live for God? And that's what Paul is calling the Corinthian believers here. Come stand with me on this side of the line. Don't be self-deceived. You're living in the old sinful life. Living what you were, that was the realm. That was the way. That was the arena. No, draw the line in the sand and stay transformed. Live that transformed life. How about us today? We hear, we hear the call, really. That's the Lord speaking to us. Are we living that transformed life? Or are we still playing games, you know, crossing the line here a little while, and then crossing, the, oh, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord, yeah, yeah, amen, yeah. Then we cross the line and get into our things, yeah. We treat each other like these guys are treating each other. Which realm are you in? Which realm do you, which arena do you mostly live in? Paul said, draw the line, get on this side, and stay there. Well, as we come to a close, you know, think about this now. How these Corinthian believers had the wrong approach, taking each other to court, acting like the world. I mean, what a witness is that? Think about how these Corinthian believers had the wrong attitude. Rather, they should have just accept, take the loss, let it go, right? They should do that. But rather than that, they're selfish, bitter, revengeful, defrauding each other even just to get their way. No different than the world. 
Think about how these Corinthian believers lived in the wrong arena, not as changed people, but living in the sinful flesh, standing on the wrong side of the line. As kingdom people, we should what? Give. Just give. Let God worry about providing. Let God worry about justice. But be a believer that is willing to forgive and what? Show love, unconditional love, something the world cannot do. Remember Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? Love to one another. And especially in these times of situations. So where do we stand? Where do you stand this morning? I'll close with this quote by J.H. Smith. He said, Never does a man stand so tall as when he foregoes revenge and dares to forgive injury. So the choice is out there for us in how we live as believers. It's presented to you here. What are you going to choose? Lawsuits or love? Let's pray. Lord, we all come here today with a heart that's been convicted, God, in how we've had a worldly approach, worldly attitude, and how maybe we've been living in that worldly arena, and it's not yours. It's not your sphere. It's not of you, God. And we've been giving in, Lord, to that. God, help us. Forgive us of our selfishness, our pride, our our fleshly dealings with others. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to live that transformed life. And Lord, I also pray for those who are here that have never given their lives over to you, God, that today they might come, Lord, to you, to the cross, be forgiven, cleansed, and that you could give them that new life so they can be free from sin, and they can be free to live that transformed life. Jesus, you're so good. You've been so merciful. We don't even deserve to be here. God, the things that we have done, Lord, before a holy God, oh, who are we, Lord, to demand anything? And even as Christians, we've failed you. We've given over to our weaknesses. We've been a bad testimony to the world. And yet, Lord, by your grace, you still love us. Yet by your grace, you're still here for us, Lord. Oh, God, we're humbled by this. And so, Lord, help us to love like you love, Lord, to those in the world and especially to our fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. God, you're so wonderful. You're, You're so great, God. Lord, I pray for those who are going through situations where they're been treated unjustly, Lord, where they have been scammed in one way or another, where where maybe it's other believers, and that's what hurts the most, when believers should be doing better and living in a better way. But I just pray for those right now that you speak to them, give them wisdom and what to do, what steps to take, God. And no matter what the situation is, Lord, guide them in your will, and may you be glorified in all of this. For you are our Lord God, and we want to trust you. Trust you, God, that you will take care of things, and we will just need to fulfill our responsibility before you to be obedient, to love, forgive, 
let go, take the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.